invite you to take your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. We're going to be looking at Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. If you're using a Bible there in front of you, it would be page 559. And as we continue in our series, The Promises of God, we're looking today at the greatest promise of God, the promise regarding uh, Christ coming into the world as we celebrate here on our Sunday before Christmas. I'm going to read Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled, rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For, or because, to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's pray. Lord, we gather this morning here in this room and some online, and Lord, where that in this season there is great joy, there is great um, celebration for the entrance of Jesus into the world, we're also aware that this the holiday season can also bring um, challenges, sorrow, remembrances of people lost, relationships uh, in turmoil. And Lord, we need to know the wonderful counselor. And as we consider Christ in his particular role as the wonderful counselor, God, I pray that you would teach us, uh, let us know Jesus better because of these moments together today in whose name I pray, amen. This passage is written in a particular historic context. We'll mention a little bit about that a little later. But we come to verse 6, and verse 6 is one of the greatest promises that God ever gives to humankind. It's the promise of a person. Now, when people have, uh, when couples have babies today, there's a, a pretty common uh, occurrence that happens. They uh, many of you get, have gotten these, and they're really great to get. You get a picture. It may be sent online, uh, or you may get it as a link. You may get it as a, uh, something you get in the mail, but it's a picture of the couple with their new child, and there you get a picture, and, and there's mom who's trying to not look like she just had a baby, and it, 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 they're in her, her uh, hospital gown, and there is dad who maybe for the first time is holding a new, a seven-pound human being in his arms, not look, trying to look not completely awkward. 
And typically, they send words that are words like this. We're happy to announce the birth of Freddie uh, and from the pr proud parents. And basically, what they're saying is, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. But their announcement is different in one regard in what is being said in verse, chap verse 6 of chapter 9. Because in this passage, it is not a mom and dad who have been given the child. In this passage, he said, it's to us. And it's a broad expression. It's not just to the parents of this child that this child is given, that this son is born. It is to all. Now, we know that refers certainly to the nation of Israel, who Isaiah is addressing. But I would suggest to you the extension of that is much beyond that. As a matter of fact, 700 years later, on a hillside outside of Jerusalem in a little town called Bethlehem, on the hills outside Bethlehem, there's a bunch of shepherds gather, and an angel appears to them and makes this statement. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And we might say, well, okay, all right. So uh, the extension is it's not only to the people of Israel of, of, of Isaiah's day, but it's also to the Israelites. But those shepherds on the field were probably Israelites, right? Probably. And so it's still to the nation of Israel. Well, Paul actually tells us it is broader than that. That it is not only a timeless statement, hundreds of years, centuries afterwards, but it includes all people. Paul says it this way about this promise. In Galatians chapter 3, he says this. He says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You're an heir of the promise. The promise is for you. The child is born for you. The son is given to you. And he tells us that he is going to have four different characteristics. He's going to be a wonderful counselor. He is going to be the mighty God. He's going to be an everlasting father. He's going to be a prince of peace. Now, I wanted to try, I initially was trying to study this sermon with the idea of covering all four, and I realized I was just going to dissipate uh, an understanding of all four, and I'm glad that the Lord led me that way because I'm excited to share with you what he means here by wonderful counselor. And so we're going to look at this statement, wonderful counselor, this morning, this one that is given to us. What does it mean, wonderful counselor? Well, of course, the word wonderful is already associated with Christmas in, in people's minds today. Back in 1946, a movie came out that probably 95% of you have seen, and hopefully 94% of you cried as you, as you watched this baby and still do. 73 years ago, that movie was made. Isn't it? Are you surprised? I was surprised. It's a wonderful life. And we all know what time of year it is. It is the most wonderful time of years, we're told. Wonderful is associated with this term. So what does he mean when he says he is the wonderful counselor? We'd like to think about that this morning. And what I'd like to do is I have a very simple two-part outline. I want to talk about what it means that Jesus is the counselor. And then what it means that Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Jesus is the counselor. It means first that he comes to a world with problems. The word counselor here in the Hebrew is a word that implies an individual who advises or instructs or 
guides, and it is particularly used of those in a position of authority. A king has his advisors. They are his counselors. They direct him and help him to, to plan the strategy for the kingdom. It is a, it is a title that, that has individuals with real expertise. It's, it's different than how we might think of a counselor like a friend who, who you call late at night, and you pour out your problems, and they respond to you, oh yeah, I, I feel that hurt. Yeah, that, that stinks. Yeah, I, I, I hate her too. I mean, that's great. But that isn't the kind of counselor we're talking about here. Not just somebody that commiserates with you, feels your pain and, and your stuff. It's somebody that can help you, that can really guide you, that can give direction on a, on a, a significant level. They show you the way out of your problems. We get that when we consider the context of Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9 is speaking directly to the issues that have been raised in Isaiah 8 in the chapter before. And in that chapter, there are three things that are, that are cited as the people of Israel were struggling with, that they had rejected God's ways in their lives and are now walking and living in lives that are seriously messed up. In that passage, we, we find three different things, and they're all these. They're struggling with darkness. They're confused and aimless. They're struggling with despair, the sorrow and, and grief that are described there. They're struggling with danger from enemies that are, that are set to take them down. That's why Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 through 5 talk about that the one that's coming is going to bring light in the midst of darkness. He's going to bring joy in the midst of sorrow and despair. And he's going to bring protection in the context of danger from the enemies around he did that historically, but the passage is actually speaking a universal statement by extension and saying it's expressed to anybody that feels the need of, of help when they're afraid, when they're stressed out, when they're confused. Jesus comes to be a counselor and came to be the ultimate counselor for people with problems. It's striking that every miracle that Jesus Christ did when he came to earth was to address problems. You know, Jesus, his miracles certainly did draw attention to who he was. It did cause people to marvel at him, some to bow before him, to recognize his worthiness. But Jesus didn't do miracles that just wowed the crowd like a magic trick. For instance, Jesus didn't stand before the crowd and sort of spin around and then levitate and say, try that. He didn't say, he didn't say watch, watch that house over there and take a lightning bolt and just, and zap. He could have, right? He didn't do those kind of miracles. His miracles were always problem-solving miracles. He was all about helping those in their struggles. He turned water into wine. Why? Because Jesus' mom's friends had nothing to serve their guest at the wedding. He fed the 5,000 because people were hungry. He healed people because they were sick. He stilled the raging storm because the boat full of disciples was about to sink. He raised the dead because they were dead. His miracles engaged hunger and poverty, and disease, and brokenness, and death. He's the wonderful counselor who comes to people with problems 
He came not for the healthy, he said, but for the sick. He came not to commend the righteous, but to save the sinner. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer gets the sense of this, I think, when he talks about Advent, which means the coming of Jesus. The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. He came for people with struggles, who recognized need. He came to be their counselor. But he not only came to a world with problems, he came to a world that couldn't solve their problems. A counselor is a source of wisdom. Jesus comes to bring wisdom. In a sense, it's an affront to the world. It's, it's offensive. I mean, what he did was he came to the world and says, you need me. I'm coming to be your counselor. The idea is that we were struggling with our own issues. Years ago, when our family was, was young, we, when we were just starting the church, um, we lived in Marlton on a corner, and uh, I didn't have an office, so my office was at home. And I, my office was out of our bedroom. I was on the second floor, and sometimes the kids were downstairs. Marion might have been out, so I was on child duty as well as, as uh, working in the office. And so I would parent the way you parent. Uh, I would try to avoid going downstairs, so I would go out to the landing. I'd hear the bickering going on, and I'd go out to the landing, and I would send down counsel from above. <laughs> and I would say help, uh, helpful things like, Share the toys. Or other helpful things like, everybody take a turn. And finally, I would get to the place where I would get a little more menacing, and I would say, don't make me come down there myself. And my hope was, that as I sent down input, basically, that they would be able to fix it themselves. But I found out, eventually, that the Word would have to become flesh, that I would have to go down <laughs> and deliver and work through it. That's the Christmas message. God came downstairs. He came among us. He came to bring to us help that we could not provide for ourselves. He came to help us fix our problems, work through things. And that's why the coming of Jesus, in some ways, was an affront. It's, it's an offensive thing because he's saying, you can't fix your problems. You can't heal yourselves. You can't resolve all the issues in the brokenness of humanity. You cannot resolve your own destructiveness. There are three, I think there are three internal issues that all humans need to deal with. One time or another, and, and some of these we deal with all the time, that are just internal issues that are going on. And I would suggest to you that each of these, Jesus Christ comes as the mighty counselor to address. Basically, everybody is going to have to deal with the issue. You're going to have to be able to face death with confidence and hope. 
You may say, well, I never think about death. I mean, I'm not, I'm not very old. I, 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 it's just not a deal to me. I don't think about death. You will. You will. There will come a time. You may be able now to go to funerals and check your phone out during the, the, you know, the serious parts and just get in, get out, do your thing. But eventually, there's going to come a time when you're going to be faced with your own mortality and you're going to start thinking, what's next? What, where, where, is, there, is, there, is there something beyond? If there is, where am I going? What's happening? There ha- that is a question that is just built into our humanity. That's why in Ecclesiastes it says, God has placed eternity in our hearts. Your dog doesn't have that. Your dog isn't wandering around thinking, boy, I wonder what the next world is going to be. But you do in your humanity, and you may be an atheist. But ultimately, there is that, 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 that sense that I, I'd like there to be more. I'd like to be, I wonder what. I, I'd like to think there's nothing, or maybe I'm sobered by the thought, but I, you know, it just, in the ground, it's over. But I would suggest to you there's a longing within everyone to face death with confidence and hope of life to come. The second question and issue is you need to be able to live with your own past and failures. You need deep self-acceptance. I would say this is the most prominent of these three. This is true of every one of our lives. Every one of us has to some degree tragically screwed up. We have failures. We have sadnesses over We have regrets. We have some shame. And it affects us. It affects your life. We are struggling. That started from the garden. I mean, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, the first thing they felt was shame. They they realized they had the verdict of unworthiness, of unacceptability. So they hid from God. And they covered themselves. They're trying to hide their shame. They're embarrassed. Why were they embarrassed? They weren't embarrassed a day before. But now they sense this, this unworthiness. I feel the verdict of unacceptability. Every one of us struggles with that. Jesus Christ came to provide a verdict that you can feel accepted. You can know that you, are, you, are, you have been accepted in Christ. I was talking with a woman a while back who knows Christ as her Savior, as part of our body. And she was, and I have for permission on this, and she was in a, a, a coffee shop, I believe, was talking, and in the, um, in the conversation with another person, she was just sharing some of her regrets, for things in her life, sadnesses, just heaviness, and how it was affecting her, her own view of herself and just the sorrow of it. And they had this conversation. It was somewhat emotional, and they didn't notice there was an older man sitting by them, and he got up to leave, and as he was leaving, he came by the table, and he looked down at this woman, and he said to her, he said, he caught her eye, and he looked at her, and he said, you are a beautiful woman, and it's all going to be okay. And he left. You may say, well, I was a little rude, but it didn't feel that way to her. And she said, I'm not a I'm not a person that imagines this kind of thing, and I don't, I'm not expecting, but she said it was a, a time in my life where I was convinced that was an angel, that God just put that person, now whether that was an angel or that was just a person that God brought to bring a message to her that she needed to hear at that moment, 
Personally, I don't struggle with it being an angel because as I study the scriptures, what I find out about angels, it says two things. It says, one, you often entertain angels among you unaware, which means they're around. We see them. We don't realize we're doing life with them. And it secondly says that they're ministering spirits to God's people. They're there to encourage. They're there to to speak God's truth into our lives. Could it have been this guy in a coffee shop? To me, he could be. I don't know. But I do know that the message that she got is the same kind of message that Jesus came downstairs to bring. He came to bring hope and encouragement to people that are beat up and very aware of their failures, very aware of of, of their screw-ups and their sin. The gospel allows you to embrace those. This is the gospel. The gospel says this, you are more sinful, corrupt, and evil than you ever dared believe, but you are more accepted, loved, and valued than you ever dared hope. Jesus says, this is why I came. Not that you'll pretend it isn't true that you've messed up, that you failed, You can embrace that. You can say, yes, these are holes, these are sins, these are my transgressions, these are the the outflow of a self-centered heart. But Jesus came for those. He died for those. He, he, He offered forgiveness for those that I could not only know that those things have been dealt with, but that I could also know that I am more loved, I am more valued, I am more accepted than I ever dared hope. This is the gospel. The gospel enables us to embrace both. If you don't have the reality of that gospel, that Jesus Christ provides forgiveness for your sins, that you are fully accepted in Christ, you're doing one of two things. In the face of your failures and your, your, your past and even some of your present and some of your future, you're denying how self-centered you are or you're absolutely devastated by it. In Christ, we can own it and say, God, by your grace, I stand accepted in Christ, not because of me, not because, it's in spite of me, but Jesus came and he says, I'm coming, I'm coming downstairs. Because I know since the garden, people have been struggling with, with flagellating themselves with the verdict, you're, you're unworthy, you're less than, you're shameful. He says, no, you can own all that you are and all that you've done. But you can say, by God's grace, I stand forgiven. And I stand accepted and loved and cherished and valued in what Christ did for me. And then you find, as you live your Christian journey, as you look to the Lord, what he does is he keeps coming to you along all the time. And he keeps saying, yeah, yeah, this failure, there's sin. But remember this. You're a beautiful woman, and it's all going to be okay. We need that message all the time. We need the wonderful counselor to be downstairs with us. The third thing is you're going to need to be able to forgive your enemies. Bitterness is a cancer. 
that controls our lives. It's striking as you read the New Testament that the greatest sin, the most prominent sin that places someone in the arena of Satan's influence is bitterness. It, it says you give the devil a foothold, that it is, it is a root that grows up and controls you and contaminates others around you. You may say, well, that seems like a pretty specific one compared to the other two. I don't think it is. I think this is a, a powerful, because every one of us is going to struggle with how we've been wronged. I'll make you a promise this morning. You may say, well, I, I've never had that happen to me. I mean, I've never really had anybody do anything that, you know, that offends me or that made me feel wrong. You know, some people have messed up. Nothing personally, nothing, nothing malicious. I'll make you a promise. You will. You will be wronged. You, you will be deeply hurt. You will have things happen to you that were very painful. What you do with that has incredible impact on your entire life, the trajectory of your whole life journey. What happens when you allow your heart to be calcified in bitterness is the person you most, you least want influencing your life, having the most influence in your life. You elevate that person to a position of influence and power they will become ridiculously big to you. They will become grossly outsized. They just shouldn't be able to dominate life and, and, and you'd be consumed with it. It's because forgiveness frees you. Jesus came. He comes downstairs in order to help us forgive and to let it go and to not be ruled by bitterness. All these things, Jesus comes, all, he speaks to all these practical problems when he comes among us. He is our counselor. And secondly, and I'll move faster here, Jesus is a wonderful counselor. What does that mean? Well, the word wonderful, of course, means full of wonders. But we see it in a couple of passages. Lamentations chapter 1, verse 9. The word is used, it says, her fall was astounding. The word astounding is the word wonderful. It's big. It's an astounding thing. Daniel's 12, 6. How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? In, in Judge, Judges chapter 13, there's an interesting use of the word. This guy named Manoah, whose son was Samson, the, the angel of the Lord who most of us believe was actually um, appearances of, of Christ before he came at, at his birth, that the angel of the Lord talking about Christ himself, appeared to people. And this angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah and said, you're going to have a son, and he's going to describe all the things about Samson. And Manoah said to him this question. He said, who are you? What is your name? And this was the response. The response was, why do you ask me my name, seeing it is wonderful? Again, same word. What he's saying is, my name, who I am, is too far above your capacity to understand that it's supernatural and transcendent. Basically, when Jesus is called the wonderful counselor, it means that Jesus is the counselor who is astounding, astonishing, beyond comprehension. He is transcendent in his ability to be the helper to us in our problems. Why is that so? Two reasons. Number one, he understands your struggles. He understands your problems. He understands your issues, your stuff. 
in a way no one else can. Of course, part of that is because the very next thing, it says he's the wonderful counselor, he's the mighty God. Because he's God, he knows that, and he knows how to speak to that, but it isn't only because he's God. As a matter of fact, he is not only able to do that because he's deity, but because of his humility. Because he came among us, because he came downstairs to, to fix the problems we couldn't address ourselves. Hebrews talks about it this way. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What he's saying is this, the creator, the controller of the universe, the Lord, the king, the sovereign, the ancient of days, became a child, became the son that is given to us. You see, the world has seen thousands of babies that have become kings, but only one king who became a baby. And he's the biggest king of all. He's the king of the cosmos. He became a child. He became one of us. Now, I don't know about you. I'll just stay for my own journey. I've had a hard time at times wrapping my arms around how Jesus being human means that he can better understand my experience. I mean, he's God, right? He knows everything, right? I mean, what does he need to learn by being human? He gets it. And, and also, what does he possibly have in common with, with us? Even if he might, you know, looks like it, maybe sort of the same height and everything, but, I mean, how do you relate to I mean, he's God. But I would suggest to you, there is something incredibly powerful of doing the same life experience. I conducted a lot of funerals in the early years of my ministry, a lot. I thought I wept with people. I thought I understood. I thought I journeyed with them. But when my own boy died, I realized I had never really conducted a funeral. I had never really understood. I had never in my life understood what many of you understand when I say this. What it means when you talk about a broken heart you, you really have a physical sensation in your chest where you just feel like it's broken. I never knew that. I never understood that. I've never done a funeral in the same way again. There is something about walking the walk with people. Some of you are here today in incredible struggles, confusion, distress, Maybe you're here and, and you say, I feel so much dread of what's coming up. I want you to remember that in the garden, Jesus Christ, the God-man, so dreaded what was coming that his perspiration literally was filled with blood as it poured out as sweat upon him. He knows what it's like to dread what might be coming. Some of you are here and you say, I just feel so rejected. Nobody wants me. I, I, I feel disdained by people. Isaiah himself in another prophecy said it this way in chapter 53. Jesus was despised and rejected by people. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Have you ever been betrayed? 
He has. Have you ever been wrongly accused? He has. Have you ever felt gossiped about? Have you people maligned you? Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever suffered overwhelming sadness and loss? Jesus has. Have you ever had people hate you, be filled with bitterness toward you? Have you ever felt the scorching fury of the powers of darkness breathing on you? Jesus has. He knows that. He knows mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically. He knows the feeling of that. What other faith, what other religion has this where their God is one who came and felt what you feel? It's an amazing verse in in Hebrews chapter 2. It says Jesus was made perfect in suffering. The word perfect there literally means he was brought to completion. In other words, there's no form of suffering that Jesus Christ didn't experience. That no one can say, nobody knows how I feel. Nobody knows how much this hurts. Nobody knows how much pain this gives me. Jesus does. The old African-American spiritual, a song sung repeatedly by slaves during the darkest days of abuse and bondage this nation has ever recorded. The song went this way. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. How can he know that? Because he walked in their shoes. He knows the feeling of bondage and rejection and being disdained. He knows being forced to, to, to compel to go under the, under the mistreatment of others. And we come back then to that verse in Hebrews 4 where it says, he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses He is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive grace and mercy to help in time of need. But Jesus not only understands your struggles, Jesus is merciful toward your struggles. When you come to him, You don't get the penalty and judgment you deserve because it was poured out on him. We find mercy and grace, it says. The brother of Jesus, physical brother I'm talking about, same mom, Mary, his brother's name was James. James wrote a book. It's the the epistle of James. James talks about coming to God as the, the mighty counselor, getting wisdom from him. Here's what he says in James 1, chapter, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Here's my favorite part of that verse. Two words. I'll accentuate it this time. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Without reproach. I would guess you feel like I feel. A lot of the times I come to God needing wisdom are because I've screwed up. A lot of my stuff I need God to lead me in is because of my own sinfulness or selfishness or just plain 
folly. I feel like it's because I've gotten myself in that situation, and I assume, it's easy to assume that God would sort of respond the way you would respond, or I would respond. And that's to sort of think we come to God and say, Lord, would you, would you give me wisdom here? And, and God would say, oh, I see. Now you want my help. You went east when I said go west. You went up when I said go down. Now you want my help. And the idea would be, he says, you know, hey, angels, look. It's Willie again. He's made a real mess this time, and now he has the audacity to come and ask me for help. But he says he gives wisdom without reproach. He says the condemnation... That's already been covered on the cross. What I'm asking is come as a humble, broken person and say, Lord, here I am. I'm in a mess. I don't know how to get through. I'm facing things. I, I just, what do I do? He says, well, if you just don't, no, he doesn't do that. He says, I would be delighted to be your counselor. I would be delighted to lead you through this. We're going to pick up from right here. We're going to go from here. He not only understands your struggles, he's merciful in your struggles. He says, God, just give me the wisdom for how to follow you here. And he says, I will do it. And I'm not going to hold your feet to the fire because of how you got there. The wisdom I'm asking for is not the wisdom I deserve. It's the wisdom Christ purchased for me. That's the wisdom you're looking for. The wisdom of a counselor who came to liberate you, who came to provide forgiveness for you, who recognized you're going to make innumerable mess-ups. But when you come in humility and say, Lord, I need direction, he doesn't immediately say, well, of course you do because with the choice. No. He says, okay, let's go from here. Let's go from here. Let's go from here. The wonderful counselors come down among us. He's come to people with problems. He's come to people who can't solve their problems by themselves. He's come because he understands your problems. And he delights to show mercy toward you in your problems. Don't you want to know a God like that more? Don't you want to do life with someone like that more? Who doesn't hold your feet to the fire and smack you around and then say, okay, now I'll help you. Who loves you? Who gave himself for you? Who, who, who came downstairs here to this screwed up planet to say, I want to be the counselor. An outrageously amazing counselor. I know your problems. I can see you through it. I know the answer to your life's deepest struggles. And I want to journey with you in that. Doesn't it make you want to know him more? To do life with him more? Stop holding on to your worries. Stop holding on to your shame. Yes, every one of us, starting up here, has done things that have harmed people we loved, that have... That have that have been our own making. And we can live there, and we can be broken there, and we cannot go on there, and we are not helping anybody. Or we can embrace mercy and say, God, 
change me from here, grow me from here, lead me from here. Stop holding on to your worries. Stop trying to hang on and figure out your problems. Bring them to Jesus. And in bringing them to Jesus, you're bringing yourself. We're going to close our service today with a song. Worship team, it's going to come in a moment. I'm going to pray, and when I finish praying, we're going to have you stand and sing this beautiful response to what we've talked about this morning. But we're also going to have people up front, as we've often done lately, people that are just coming forward as friends to pray with. And if you'd like to have someone just pray and say, I just, I'd love to have somebody else pray with me to, 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 to help me bring this to the Lord. They're going to ask you two questions. They're going to ask you your first name, and they're going to ask you, is anything particular you want them to pray about? You may come and say, my name's Mark, and I, I don't even know, or I, I don't feel comfortable sharing everything. That's all right. They'll just pray to the one who knows everything that's bothering you. They'll pray to the one that gets it all. Or if you want to share a story, you can share that as well. But if you want somebody to pray with you this morning, won't you come? I'm going to pray. Those people are coming forward, and they're all going to stand and sing, Lord, we come to you. I need a counselor. I need a mighty counselor. We need a counselor who sees what we don't see. We need a counselor that doesn't condemn but bore our condemnation. We need a counselor who doesn't accuse and hold our feet to the fire but endured that accusation and the fire for us. We need Christ. Lord, I pray that you would move in hearts this morning for those that are here that have never embraced Jesus Christ as Savior. God, in your grace, draw them to Christ. May they allow you to love them through Christ. Lord, for others that are just dealing with heavy waters and problems and just would love to have somebody else to pray with them, God, have them come. Let us be able to pray together and join each other at the throne of grace where we find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Lord Jesus, we love you for coming. We love you as our mighty counselor. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand as we sing.
You're the wonderful counselor And great are you, Lord Worthy of so a gift that we simply don't deserve. And every day you're, you're with us, Lord. There'll be broken hearts this holiday, there is no doubt, Lord, but you will be with them. Uh, we're going to let those continue at the altar if they're praying, but the rest of you can quietly leave. Thank you, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.